And this morning we're looking at this central letter of the section, the letter to the church of Thyatira. We have three letters on one side of this one and three letters on the other side of this one. This is the longest letter and it has a central place in this set of seven letters. And the very central verse of this central section is chapter 2, verse 23, where Jesus says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I don't think it's by accident that that's the central verse of this section. And I say that because one of the central themes of these letters is that Jesus knows the reality of what is going on in each of our lives. He knows everything about you this morning. He sees your struggles, he sees your encouragements, he sees the things you're excited about and the things that you're worried about. He sees through all our efforts to present a self. He sees what's behind all the bright, smiley faces this morning. He knows everything about us. He knows the depths of our hearts. And yet, in these letters, we have seen that even though Jesus knows the depths of the reality of our hearts, he lovingly comes to minister to us, to give us spiritual direction, and to help us draw nearer to him. Another major theme encapsulated in the letters is that Jesus is the one to whom we are all ultimately accountable for our lives. He gives to each according to their works. This is the centerpiece of this whole section of the book of Revelation. Those who live their lives under the lordship of Christ, who trust in him and who walk in his ways, can hope for eternal blessing from him. Those who reject the lordship of Christ and say, I'm going to go and make my own way, they can expect condemnation from Jesus Christ. And so with this being the central theme of this letter, knowing that Jesus knows us and that we're accountable to his lives, it's no surprise that the theme of this central letter is all about how we can bring our lives more fully under the lordship of Jesus Christ. How we can live lives that are pleasing to Jesus. And this is immediately relevant to every one of us who named the name of Christ this morning, because as Christians, this is something we should really want to do. We should really want to live lives that are pleasing to Jesus. Now, we don't do that to earn salvation or anything like that. We know that our salvation is secured by trusting Jesus alone. But out of a love for Jesus, out of an appreciation for him, we want to make it our goal to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please him. And through what Jesus says to this church in Thyatira, 
we can draw out four components of a life that is pleasing to Jesus. If you have any concern about living a life that is pleasing to Jesus, you'll want to sit up and listen very carefully. Four components of the life that is pleasing to Jesus. Component number one, Jesus wants us to have a clear understanding of who he is. We see this in the introduction to this letter. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This letter, like so many of the others, opens with this majestic glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. We're told straight away that this letter to the church at Thyatira, these are the words of the Son of God. The, this term, this title denotes the divine authority of Jesus Christ. And in fact, this theme of authority actually bookends this letter because down at the bottom end of the letter in verses 26 and 27, Jesus speaks of his own authority that he has received from his Father, an authority that his people will share in in the future. So we're to make no mistake about it, as this letter begins, these are the words of the sovereign Lord of the universe. But they're also the ones of the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. This is to capture your imagination. You think of how people in modern day movies like Iron Man and the Avengers or whatever it is, they, they try to capture this sort of image in different ways to, to give characters with a penetrating gaze. Well, this one, Jesus, has eyes like a flame of fire. I'd invite you to just ponder that in your mind's eye for a moment. This refers to his majestic holiness and to the gaze of that holiness upon us. We speak of people close to us who know us when we're hiding something and they see it, we say that they're able to see right through us. I know some of you have been enjoying the BBC One series, Traitors. Uh, it's like a giant game of mafia where you have to cover over the fact that you're the traitor. Well, you can do all the covering over you want, but Jesus sees right through you. This is to be searching for us as we sit here this morning. The one whose eyes are like a flame of fire, he sees right into the depths of our reality. We're told also that his feet are like burnished bronze. This is all about the stability of Christ. In the book of Daniel, great nations and their leaders are depicted as Statues that are made of great precious metals like gold and silver and iron. But there's one problem. Those nations and the statues that represent them, they're all built on feet of clay. Inherently unstable. But Jesus Christ is the stable one. 
His feet are like burnished bronze, a stable metal. He is immovable, unchanging in all the changing circumstances of life. This vision of the Son of God, the one with eyes like a flame of fire, with feet like burnished bronze, it heads the letter to the church at Thyatira because Jesus knows that what the believers then needed more than anything else is the same as what we need today more than anything else in our lives. We all need a bigger vision of Jesus. How big is your vision of Jesus this morning? Have you domesticated Jesus down into this small little part of your life and in a sense you're Lord and he is under your authority? Or is he the Lord of your life? The stable one on whom your whole life is built. The one who you don't try to hide from. You say, Lord, my heart is open. Search me and know me, God. See if there's anything offensive in me that, that is offending you. Root it out, Lord. Open me up. And he's the divine son who you want to surrender your whole life to. Do you know him in this way? And do you ponder his glory and his majesty? Do you ever just ponder the glory of Christ? John Owen has said... A great English theologian, it is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we're spiritually edified and built up in the world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grows stronger and stronger. You know, vitamin D is called the sunshine vitamin. Apparently, when the sun falls on your skin, somehow your body absorbs that sunlight and Somehow cholesterol is involved and it changes the vitamin D or something into vitality and energy. The sun makes something happen and you get more vitality in life. And everyone says in Northern Ireland, that is the one vitamin we do need to take, vitamin D, because through these winter months, as we know, there's a lot of darkness. Sometimes I, I like to think of how that's a bit like pondering the glory of Christ. We want the, the glory of the Son of God to just shine on us, to give us spiritual life and vitality. Jesus wants us to have a clear vision of who he is. He wants us to behold his glory because doing this gives us stability and vitality as Christians. Now, that's very abstract. So how do we do that? How do we behold the glory of Christ? Well, we just think on Jesus and we think on the gospel. So maybe just this vision this morning, you'll just go away and maybe in the middle of today, you might think, Lord, I want to think of you as the one with eyes like a flame of fire. I want to think of the fact that you're the one who searches me and knows me. Help me not to be afraid of that, Lord. Help me not want to hide. Help me want to open my life to you. Or maybe you'll ponder his feet like burnished bronze, the stability of Christ, and say, Lord, there's so much unstable in my life. I want to think of you as the stable one. And that's like the light falling on you, the glory of Christ. And that makes your faith grow. So we're thinking here of the components of a life that are pleasing to Jesus. 
I think the first part of this letter tells us Jesus wants us to have a clear understanding of who he is. So let's think on him. Let's pray for a bigger vision of him. And let's ponder his glory. Second, Jesus wants us to keep pressing on towards greater spiritual maturity. Here is another component of the life that pleases the Lord. It is a life that wants to press on and to grow. One expert on these ancient cities that the letters were addressed to in the book of Revelation has said of Thyatira, out of the seven cities addressed in the book of Revelation, Thyatira is the least known, the least important, and the least remarkable of the cities. And in this way, Thyatira stands for, in a sense, small, insignificant, out-of-the-way churches in small, insignificant, out-of-the-way places. We know there's lots of small churches in relatively insignificant places in Northern Ireland. Not many people might know much about those churches except the people who belong to those churches. I think of a wee church like Gortmer and Baptist. I grew up in Caledon, County Tyrone, and in the summer I went to a wee church called Gortmer and Baptist to their uh, summer DVBS, Daily Vocational Bible School. And uh, I absolutely loved it. I got picked up in a red Land Rover Defender. Some farmer, I didn't even know who he was, came to the house, picked me up, and drove me in there with a whole load of other kids from the countryside. I don't even think you can do that sort of thing anymore. But a young man who used to be, uh, who did his uh, student apprenticeship with us here, a man called Lewis Stevenson, he's just gone there to be the pastor. We might not ever hear much about Gortmer and Baptist, but see that wee gathering of believers in the middle of the Tyrone countryside, they're not insignificant to Jesus. The one with eyes like a flame of fire has his gaze set on his local churches. He cares about them. There's no forgotten churches to Jesus. This also applies, I think, to individuals because we can feel sometimes like there are more important people out there. Even in church, we can feel oh, there's lots of people and everyone knows them and they're extroverted and they're really involved and then there's little old me, insignificant, no one really sees me. Maybe some people have been new to the church. You've been finding it hard to, to find your way and, and feel settled. Well, you know, if you're feeling relatively insignificant in here this morning, the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire, he sees you and he knows you and he cares for you. In verse 19, Jesus addresses the church and the believers at Thyatira and he says, I know your works. Now that by itself might be a bit unsettling. You imagine someone phoned you and it was a withheld number and you heard this strong inner city Belfast accent and someone said, I know your works. Now it would scare the life out of you. I think it would be quite unsettling you might start to think, oh no, what have I done? And who is this? But then look at how Jesus continues to speak to the church. I know your works, your love, and your faith, 
and your service and your patient endurance. Jesus is saying, I know all about the good things you're doing for me. How encouraging is that for the one feeling totally overlooked and underappreciated? And I think what Jesus does here in the church in Thyatira is very instructive for us. Jesus will have things to challenge this church about. We're going to see that in a moment. But first, he encourages them with respect to what they're doing well. He could have just slammed them from the outset. But he knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. He knows how to gently handle a bruised reed. He knows how to not crush us, but to lift us up. I find this about Jesus' character, I just find it so compelling. Sometimes we have to say hard things and corrective things to people in love. But perhaps following the example of Jesus here could be instructive for us. Perhaps first recognizing the good in people could be a loving way to then introduce the correction that is needed. Jesus commends the believers in Thyatira for their love, faith, service, and patient endurance. From these commendations, we see the things Jesus wants us to keep growing in. Love. I want to keep coming back to this. Let's remember the biblical definition for love from 1 Corinthians 13. Here is something Jesus wants you to be growing in. Love is patient. Just just pause for a moment. Okay, how am I doing there? Demonstrating love towards the people in my life, the people in my church, the people around me. How am I doing at demonstrating love through a practice of patience? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus says, I know your love. He also knows about their faith. He wants his people to keep trusting him with all their hearts and not leaning on their own understanding. He knows all about their service. He wants us to grow in the way we serve one another. I think of how I see this at Great Vic, and it's so deeply encouraging. So many of you serving on rotas, getting stuck in sacrificially in so many ways, contributing, giving up your time, loving each other by serving each other. We're going to see examples of that in many ways even through the rest of this morning. We see the musicians who serve us and help us to sing. We, we see those who serve us, like Simon leading the service, and those who are reading and leading us in prayer. We're gonna, we see it with the sound team at the back. We see it with those who've gone out to teach our children. We see it with those who are making the tea and coffee and going to wheel it up to the front and the back to try and serve us so that the area at the back doesn't become as congested. We see so many people serving in so many ways, and Jesus sees this service, and he commends it, and he wants to encourage it. Keep growing in this. And he also sees their patient endurance. A people who keep going when the going's tough. He knows all about your life. He knows about your patient endurance. 
and he encourages the believers at Thyatira saying, your latter works exceed the first. That's Jesus saying, you're growing in these things and it's good. It's Jesus saying, I know your works and I want to commend you. And we can receive this encouragement today too. Especially if we feel weak and overlooked. Jesus comes to encourage us. I know all about how hard you're trying to serve me and live for me. I don't miss it, I see it. But maybe for some of us this might be a bit of a poke, a bit of a prod. As I'm reading those things, you're actually feeling a wee bit convicted and sheepish because you're thinking, oh boy, there's some things here I need to address and I need to grow in. And that's okay. God's word is supposed to expose these things in our lives. But the question now is, how will you hear what the Spirit is saying to you and how will you respond so that you're not just a hearer of the word but a doer of the word? What might it like for you to maybe make some adjustments, to be more involved, perhaps even in this local church? Maybe for you it might be to commit to church membership, take the next step of getting involved. Maybe some, it might be being more intentional in being loving and encouraging. Maybe you've got into the habit of just criticizing people all the time. But maybe you could just set a new goal and say, on a Monday morning at the start of each week, I'm going to try and put a reminder on my phone or something like that to text someone to encourage them. Something simple like that. Practicing love through encouragement. Just, just putting a wee structure in your life that'll help you be more intentional about this. Maybe it could be hospitality, thinking I want to be more considerate and thinking how I can serve someone by having them around for a meal or inviting them out for a coffee. See, Jesus wants us to keep growing in maturity. And here are the marks of maturity in this passage. Love, faith, service, and patient endurance. So let's keep pressing on to mature in these things. This is a life that is pleasing to Jesus. Well, the third component of that life then could be summarized like this. Jesus wants us not to be naive about the pernicious influence of false teaching. We see this in verse 20. Jesus moves from commendation now to correction and says, but I have this against you in Thyatira. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now what's this about? Well, it seems that there was a prominent woman in Thyatira, a self-proclaimed prophetess in the city. She was teaching things that are contrary to the word of Christ. Notice Jesus calls this woman Jezebel. Now, that was probably not her actual name, but it was a symbolic name given to this woman, communicating how people in Thyatira were to think about this woman. You see, Jezebel was the name of an Old Testament queen whom we meet in 1 Kings 16, and boy, she was a nasty piece of work. She enticed her husband, the king of Israel, Ahab, to introduce idol worship in Israel. 
She exercised her power and her influence through bribery and seduction. She would paint her eyes and put her makeup on as she tried to influence weak-willed men. She intimidated prophets like Elijah, arranged the death of a man named Naboth due to her husband, who was a little wimp, and he was weeping because he was jealous of his neighbor's garden. He said, I want that garden as a piece of land. And his wife said, why are you crying and gurning? I'll get it for you. And she arranged the death of Naboth and said, there you go, husband. There's the garden. There's the vineyard. And so when Jesus evokes this name Jezebel, it was to say something about this prophetess in Thyatira who was seeking to influence people. She's a dangerous woman. Have nothing to do with her. In verse 24, we learn that a group of this influential woman's followers were claiming to have special insight into something called the deep things of Satan. We're not sure what this actually looked like, but this group following Jezebel, this prophetess, they seemed to claim some kind of special insight into what was satanic and what was not. And so they could conclude, do you know what? Satan has no problem with this. It's okay for believers to relax their stance on making offerings to idols. It's okay for believers to relax their stance about sexual immorality. We know the deep things of Satan. That's not a problem. But Jesus gives a clear warning that the believers in Thyatira are being too tolerant of this woman's sinful influence, and they're being too tolerant of her teaching. Essentially, Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira, you've become a bit naive about the pernicious influence of this teaching in your midst. Now, let's think about how this might apply to us today. I'm sure you, like me, are dismayed by the number of professing Christians who are beginning to affirm things like sex outside of marriage, saying it's okay, or others who say that they're Christians and yet are affirming of homosexual practice, others who are affirming of the redefinition of marriage, or who would say, well, if male and female are not fixed categories, who are we to disagree? Let's wake up and realize the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well and trying to exert an influence on churches today in Northern Ireland and in Belfast. Sadly, so many of the Methodists have caved in. So many of the Anglicans in the Church of Ireland have caved in. So many liberal Presbyterian churches have caved to this. I'm so thankful for the official line of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland who are holding the line. But we know the pressure is on on all quarters to get with the times and adjust our so-called archaic ways. Listen. Jesus is intolerant of sin. When we tolerate sin and call it less than it is, we dishonor Christ. 
Jesus is saying there is a healthy intolerance of sin. And in Thyatira, he's saying, you're tolerating what I don't tolerate. And that is not good. We do not want Jesus to say this about us at Great Vic. You don't want to say this about your own life. Jesus says in verse 21 that he has given Jezebel time to repent. It sounds like perhaps through the instruction of godly teachers trying to come alongside and warn and correct and rebuke, but this woman has refused to repent and turn from her ways. And in verse 22, Jesus says that he's coming, therefore, to exercise his judgment on her, and those who are her children, he's going to strike dead. That means he's going to come and judge Jezebel and her disciples. And when the judgment comes, if it comes in time, partly, but then we know fully at the end to come in verse 23, Jesus says, when this judgment comes, that all the churches will know that he is the one who searches minds and hearts and gives to each according to their works. Those who honor Jesus as Lord will have life. Those whom, who, those whom reject him as Lord to follow their own self-made morality will face eternal death. And then look at what Jesus says to the rest of the Thyatirans in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I don't lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. Jesus is saying there, faithful Christian, hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the clear moral lines that Scripture draws for us. Hold fast to servant-heartedness hope-filled patience, and steadfast endurance. Don't compromise. Don't give in to false teaching that would lead people astray from trusting in Christ and from living a gospel-shaped life. Jesus is exhorting the Thyatirans on us today. Don't become too tolerant of sin. Don't be influenced by those who would want to call it something it's not. Be careful of this pernicious influence of this shift in many people who call themselves Christian. They're, they're beginning to affirm these things. Don't buy it. Don't compromise. Hold the lines that Scripture holds. I said earlier today, the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well in many churches, and that is true. And you know, she comes proclaiming love in the name of toleration. You church, you want to be loving. Well, then you should be more tolerant. We've all heard it. The assumption there is that being tolerant means being affirming of each and every view that anyone has. So tolerance today is put forward as being loving, and tolerance is put forward as affirming anyone's view. That's how you should be loving and tolerant in a local church. That's love. That's tolerance. But let me tell you this loud and clear. That is not tolerance. Tolerance 
and affirmation are not the same things. D.A. Carson has shown in his helpful book with a quirky title, The Intolerance of Tolerance, he's shown us that tolerating tolerance, he's shown us that tolerance doesn't mean affirming all views. Tolerance is being able to hold a view and to have someone else in front of you that holds a different view and you can recognize that you each have the right to disagree with one another. In fact, you'll defend each other's right to hold their view and disagree. That's tolerance. Tolerance doesn't mean that I have to affirm you in what you believe. No, tolerance means I can disagree with you and you can disagree with me, but we'll tolerate the fact that each of us has the right to hold our own conviction. That is tolerance. But today, people would want to come to you and say, no, 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 tolerance means affirming everyone. And it's unloving of you to be intolerant. Don't buy that lie. Let's aim to be tolerant of what Jesus is tolerant of and intolerant of what Jesus is intolerant of. Let's not be naive about the pernicious influence of sin around us. Let us know our biblical convictions on moral matters and hold the truths that we believe with both firmness and grace. Jesus says the life that pleases him is not naive about the seriousness of sin. Fourthly and finally then, Jesus wants us to be people who live with the hope of eternity in our hearts. I'm so glad that we're ending on this note because this is just simply beautiful. Here is a component, a key component in the life that pleases Jesus. We are those who live with the hope of eternity in our hearts. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus cites Psalm 2, a psalm which depicts the nations gathered in assembly against God and opposing his Messiah. The psalm ends with a declaration of the Messiah's total victory over all sinful rebellion against God and over all sin and evil in the world. Those who rebel against God's Messiah will be broken and crushed. Those who seek refuge in him will be blessed. In verse 26 of Revelation 2, Jesus says that all his people who have trusted in him will have a very special share in his end time reign over the nations. In fact, if you just jump over to chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus tells us that he will grant his people to sit with him on his throne and to share in all the blessings of his rule and reign. Jesus wants us to know, in the end, all those who have sinfully declared rejection of Jesus for self-lordship, they will all in the end be put under the feet of Jesus Christ. 
And those who have, as Psalm 2 says, kissed the Son, embraced the Son, will not be crushed under his feet. In fact, they will sit with him on his throne. But then in verse 28, Jesus adds this beautiful little verse, and I will give him, those who conquer, the bright morning star. Now, what does that mean? Well, in Revelation 22:16, Jesus says to his people right at the close of this book, I am the bright morning star. So here is the most beautiful truth that Jesus wants to leave the believers and us uh, with this morning. The believers in Thyatira and us with this morning. Everything that makes heaven heaven is having Jesus. Jesus says the best of all in the new heavens and new earth is that I will give you me. I'll give you myself. You will have the bright morning star. You will have me, Jesus is saying. Now think with me about what the bright morning star represents. The symbolic imagery of Revelation is so full of meaning. This star represents the hope of the dawn to come. A hope that Jesus wants us to live with. He wants this bright morning star to burn brightly in our hearts. This bright morning star language tells us no matter matter how dark the night of this world may seem, the morning star is coming. And when he comes, everything will be made right. All will be made right when he appears. The bright morning star announces the end of the night. Everything that is associated with the darkness of fallenness will come to an end. The bright morning star comes, heralds the end of your sicknesses, the end of your sorrows, the end of your loneliness, the end of your mourning, the end of our weak worship, the end of our wandering, prone to wander. The coming of the bright morning star heralds the end of depression, the end of anxiety, the end of frustration, the end of feeling overwhelmed and exhausted with life. This bright morning star preaches to us the end of war, the end of death, no more need of hospitals. No overwhelmed NHS. No overwhelmed intensive care beds. This bright morning star announces the end of the night and the dawning of a new day. No more struggle with sin. No more battles with assurance. No more being weighed down with all the burdens we're weighed down with. The bright Morning star comes and the darkness runs away forever. Are you hearing that? 
That is incredible. That's the hope we go into tomorrow with. This world is not all there is. All the pain, all the brokenness, all the sadness, that will never have the last word. Jesus, the bright morning star, says, I'm coming soon, and the dark, darkness will all flee, and I myself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. No more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sadness. I'm making everything new. The question is, will you be part of it? And the only way you know you'll be part of it is if you can say, the bright morning star burns brightly in my heart. Christ is my hope, my life, my everything. And the older we get, the more we realize that this world ultimately has nothing for us. Honestly, you realize just the things you put your hopes in in this world, they leave you empty, disappointed, and disillusioned. But you see, we're not those who live with just hope in this life. We're waiting for the home of righteousness. And Jesus says, until then, keep beholding my glory. Keep pressing on in love and service and faith and patient endurance. Keep fighting against the pernicious influence of sin, standing firm. And keep the hope of the bright morning star alive in your heart and your life. Carry that into this week and be a person of hope. That's what it means to bring your life more fully under the Lordship of Christ. And so let's ask ourselves again, in light of the very final verse, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you this morning? And how will you respond? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you realize I don't have the hope of the bright morning star in my heart. I haven't trusted in Jesus. This morning, you can receive Christ by faith and have a whole new dawn breaking in your life. Maybe you're here and you're Christian and the hope of that bright morning star has been dull. Maybe you just need to say, Spirit of the living God, just breathe life into my hope again. However that response looks for you, don't go out of here without really doing business in your heart with the Lord. Even if you need to just take a quiet moment now, we need to speak to someone beside you before the end of this morning. Don't let this moment pass. Continue to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let's pray together. Father, it thrills our hearts to recognize that when Jesus calls himself the bright morning star, that, that bright morning star announces the end of the darkness. Oh Lord, make that hope be something we look to, that we live for, so that no matter how dark our lives can feel in this moment, we know that one day the darkness 
will flee away, and we will live in eternal dawn with the brightness of Christ shining on us. Perfect, perfect peace, perfect rest, perfect happiness forever. Sustain us with this hope this week and onwards we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing now this lovely hymn, There is a Higher Throne, that reminds us that there's far more than just what we see in this world. Let's stand together and praise.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Christ Jesus our Lord, amen. Amen.